Now, Birdsong, fun and fascinating talk about the top stories in today's headlines. Birdsong may just be the most qualified talk show host in the business, thanks to his many careers in law, government, and education. Here's your host, Leonard Birdsong. Hello, listeners. This is Birdsong back with you on the radio. So good to be here. Got a good show for you today. I'm not going to have a guest today because there are some things on my mind that I want to talk about. I want to talk about the Bill Cosby conviction and tell you a little bit about Bill Cosby. I want to tell you a little bit about the about the demise of the alt-right. I want to tell you about the DACA decision that came down last Tuesday. And then maybe talk about uh, the questions that the president thinks Mueller wants to ask him. Any rate, if you want to comment on anything that I say, you can email me at lbirdsong, that's L-B-I-R-D-S-O-N-G, 22, that's 22, at gmail.com, and I will answer you on the radio the next time, or the next uh, next week. So let's start with what I want to talk about. Of course, you know, later in the program there will be some dumb criminal law stories and some riddles and i'm going to even have another paul harvey story for you today but let's talk about bill cosby many of you have heard the name maybe most of you don't know about bill cosby's history but most of you know that last thursday he was convicted of three counts of sexual assault against a young lady by the name of andrea constat supposedly he did this in 2004 uh, she won a civil suit against him, but the prosecutors have brought a criminal case, and he was prosecuted for crimes. He has now been found guilty of three of them. I'm going to give you my ideas or my knowledge as a former federal prosecutor as to why he was convicted and what his sentence might be. He's facing up to possible 30 years in prison, but the man is 80 years old now, and he's legally blind. All right, a little bit of history, a little bit of history. Bill Cosby was born in Philadelphia, and that's where he grew up. He went into the Navy for a few years and then finished his uh, college education at Temple University, which is in Philadelphia. He started out as a stand-up comic in the early 1960s. He was a stand-up comedian, and uh, what set him apart from other comedians, stand-up comedians, is that he did a clean act. He didn't curse. He didn't talk about race relations. He didn't put down the man. He came up with some funny things that people do. He talked about some of his childhood friends and all kinds of quirky stuff that many people found funny. He went on to become an actor. In 1965, NBC put him in a series called I Spy. That was a long time ago, but it was a groundbreaking, a groundbreaking show because it was the first time that in a buddy TV program, a black man and a white man were paired together. They were spies, but they were uh, cast as their cover were, they were tennis champions and tennis players who went all over the world. Bill Cosby was the smart one, and his teammate 
was Robert Culp. So this was the first time that an African-American actor had the real lead and was a star in the show. It was a very popular show, and uh, among other things, it led to him getting lots of uh, chances to advertise, advertise products. He did a lot for Jell-O, and during the 14 years that he did commercials, he was a real sensation. As a matter of fact, there's an ad magazine that talks about only the Pope was more popular than Bill Cosby in the 1970s and 1980s. Bill Cosby was, his approval rating as a pitch man was better than many, and he was only popular, and his popularity was only second to the Pope in the Vatican. In 1984, NBC uh, started a, a, a series called The Cosby Show, where Cosby played a doctor, Dr. Huxtable, who was married to a lawyer. It was a middle-class family, his children. They did a lot of uh, programs about the kinds of things that middle-class families, whether black or white or Asian, would run into, and it became very, very popular. The show lasted from 1984 until 1992, and it's estimated that he had made about $300 million with that show. Now, way back in 1987, he was one of the highest paid or the highest paid entertainer on television. He was making or made $100 million that year in just 1987 alone. So let's fast forward to 2017. In 2017, Bill Cosby was on trial for allegedly having women come to his house, he would give them certain pills that would sort of knock them out, and then he'd have sex with them. Now, a lot of people didn't believe this, but in night by 2014, a number of women came forth, it was something like 50 of them, to say that they had been sexually assaulted by Bill Cosby. However, the statute of limitations on most of their cases had run out, so they couldn't be prosecuted uh, for criminality. Cosby couldn't be prosecuted criminally because the statute of limitations had run out in most cases. However, a young lady by the name of Andrea Costad, who was uh, a part of the Temple University basketball program, alleged that in 2004 he raped her after giving her some pills at his home. Now, the civil suit, she won some money against him, but in her case, the statute of limitations on the crime had not run out, so prosecutors brought the case to trial in 2017. However, the case ended with a hung jury. That means the jurors, 12 of them, could not come up with a unanimous decision. So there was going to be a retrial. Usually it takes a few months after the original trial. The original trial started this year in early April 2018, and it ended last Thursday with a conviction of three counts of sexual assault 
on Andrea Constant. Constant, I'm sorry, is her name. So now, many people think that when the jury comes in with a guilty verdict in a criminal case, that's the end of the case. That's not completely true. If the defendant is found not guilty, it is the end of the case. But if there is a guilty verdict, the case does not end until sentencing. That is when a sentence is done. So basically, Mr. Cosby has been convicted of three crimes. He could get up to 30 years in prison because each crime he was found guilty of carries a 10-year limit. Now, generally, most judges would not make them give them that much. I don't think that Bill Cosby at 80 years old and legally blind is going to get 30 years in prison. However, if I were his lawyer, I would uh, certainly ask for probation, which might not be given. But also, I might argue for certainly a lesser sentence, something like maybe 10 years with eight years of the sentence suspended. That is, he might go to jail for two years. Now, what's the difference between the first case and the second? Why, Why did he... Go down the second time. What might have made the difference? With a hung jury, it only takes one person to not agree that the person is guilty, and the case can be retried. Now, I'm going to just give you a little law here. With trials, many people don't know, but there's a rule that if you are on trial for a criminal matter, you or the government cannot put your character into evidence to show the propensity to do the the crime you are on trial for. In other words, the government can't bring in your character unless you open the door. If you get on the stand and talk about your good character, the government can then bring in evidence of your bad character. However, Bill Cosby didn't take the stand, so his character wasn't in evidence. However, There is another part of this law about character evidence that says that you can use character evidence in a non-propensatory way, that is, by showing that there are other crimes. It's called other crimes, wrongs, or acts. And the law says evidence of other crimes, wrongs, or acts is not admissible to prove character, but can be used in order to show action in conformity therewith. It may, however, be admissible for other purposes, such as proof of motive, opportunity, intent, preparation, plan, knowledge, identity, or absence of mistake or accident. Now, that last one is probably what got Bill Cosby. The government in the first trial put on one other witness who testified that Bill Cosby had drugged her and had sex with her. Just one. Obviously, everyone in the jury didn't believe it. Ms. Constead testified. Maybe they did or did not believe her. But in this retrial, the second trial, the government upped the ante by bringing in five women who could and who did testify to the fact that Mr. Cosby had given them pills, and then had sex with them against their will. Five people in addition to the 
victim testifying that he did that shows under the law that this was probably not an absence, not a mistake or accident. It went to his mode of operation. The jury came back only after about three or four hours of deliberation, found him guilty on all counts. It's sad. He's an icon. He's fallen from grace. Why a man who made so much money and was so endeared to many people, he was called, I guess, the uh, television father for our age, why he fell into this disrepute. But that happens. At any rate, the prosecutors got what they want. Whether he will go to prison for a long time remains to be seen in many states, and I don't know Pennsylvania law that well. They'd rather not spend a whole lot of money on an 80-year-old patient who may be legally blind because it might cost the state more than to give him probation and give him home arrest. But we will see what happens. If you have comments on what I've just said about Bill Cosby and his trial, you're welcome to email me at lbirdsong22 at gmail. Dot com. The second thing on my mind today is about the alt-right, the demise of the alt-right. Now, some of you know what the alt-right means. It's the new white supremacy group or groups that have come into power lately. A few days ago, I read a story in the Washington Post by Terrence McCoy, that goes eight months after a white nationalist rally in Charlottesville ended in the death of a counter-protester, the loose collection of disaffected young men, I'm sorry, the loose collection of disaffected young white men known as the alt-right is in disarray. The alt-right is made up of neo-Nazis, Ku Klux Klansers, white supremacists, and people who want to have what's known as a whites-only ethno-state. The purporter of that ethno-state is a fellow by the name of Richard Spencer. He's been one of the leading speakers of this alt-right movement. Torrance, or Terrence McCoy goes on to write that one of the moments, I'm sorry, one of the movement's biggest groups, the traditional worker party, was dissolved this past March, and that Andrew Anglin, founder of the Daily Stormer, the largest alt-right website, has gone into hiding, chased by a harassment lawsuit. Richard Spencer himself, of the alt-right's most public figure, canceled a college speaking tour and was abandoned by his attorney last month. Now, let me just go back a little. This Daily Stormer website, the Stormer takes its name from the Nazi Stormabteilung in 1920s and 30s in Germany. These were the bully boys that Hitler used to beat up Jews and homosexuals and communists. It's called the Stormabteilung. Those were stormtroopers who went out and beat up people. So, in this day, we have the Daily Stormer, an all, a website that has now gone down, and their leader is in hiding. People say that white supremacy 
and hate will always be with us. It seems like the alt-right may be imploding because of financial troubles since what happened in Charlottesville. We know that a young lady by the name of Heather Heyer, who was 32, was killed in Charlottesville when a young alt-right member allegedly plowed his car into into her and killing her. And then President Trump's reluctance to disown white nationalism focused a degree of scrutiny on the movement that it had not known. And some of these things led to its demise. What do I say? I say that's good. We have enough hate groups in the United States. And this whole thing about a white ethno state that they want, I'm certainly not for it. We are a diverse country. I want us to stay a diverse country. There's the old thing about, well, send all the black people back to Africa, send the Muslims back to the Middle East, to send the Asians back to Asia. Well, it ain't going to happen. Now, what I say is just the other thing. The alt-right is made up, or what this ethno state of white people would be, I would say, why does that have to be in the United States? Why don't you alt-right people go back to the white countries that you originally came from? If you have Irish descent, go back to Ireland. If you have German descent, go back to Germany. If you are Swedish, uh, Swedish, go back to Sweden. But we know it ain't going to happen because these countries probably don't want these people back. Certainly after what Germany did, and there was a lot of hate and there were a lot of people killed because of the fascist thinking that we have to get rid of certain groups of people. I don't understand, and I've said this on radio before, why young white men in the United States would want to follow the alt-right and why would they want to dignify what the Nazis did? The Nazis were mass killers, mass murderers. These people were awful. And I know it because... I was stationed in Germany for three years, and part of my job was to hold hearings for former Nazi Party members and former Waffen-SS soldiers who wanted non-immigrant visas to go to the United States. Well, you know, I learned a lot about what they did. Most people, most of them never wanted to admit it, but we had information on where they were stationed and when they were stationed and what kinds of things were done. The Germans were very good at keeping records. Well, at any rate, they're losing money. I don't wish them well. I don't hate, because I think hate is corrosive, but I just don't think that we need an alt-right in our country. They want a white ethno state. I say, why don't you go back to the countries that are predominantly white? And be happy with your background. This is Birdsong. You want to write me an email about any of this? lbirdsong22 at gmail.com. I will answer you as soon as possible on the radio.
Hey, folks, this is Birdsong back with you. Um, had a lot to say in this first segment. Talked about Bill Cosby and his fall from grace. I talked about the demise or the alt-right and what's happening with them. They're losing money. They're shutting down their websites. Probably the killing of a person by an alt-right person at Charlottesville helped lead to their demise. Now, something else that I want to talk about. The past week, there was a decision on DACA. As you know, DACA stands for Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, people who want to come into the United States because they are seeking asylum, or that their parents brought them into the United States when they were underage, and President Obama set up a program for DACA, People could, if they had come to the United States before they were 16 and been brought by their parents and they had not passed the age of 32, could apply for this sort of, I don't want to say amnesty, this program would allow them to stay in the United States without fear of deportation for two years. They could go to school, they could get a driver's license, they could work, they could join the military. And about 800,000 people signed up for it. In uh, earlier this year, President Trump said he was ending the program of DACA, that is, these children signing up and getting this two-year reprieve that could be renewed. He's going to end it on March 5th, 2018. DACA would be over. The children who came were be subject would be subject to deportation. And what happened is that basically the courts have said, Mr. Trump, you can't do it like that. A District Columbia federal court judge and appointee of President George W. Bush, John D. Bates, a man I know because I worked in the same office in the U.S. Attorney's Office in Washington, D.C. when I was a federal prosecutor, he went on to the bench And uh, last week, he held in an opinion that the rescission of the DACA program was arbitrary and capricious because the president, I'm sorry, because the Department of Homeland Security and the president had failed to adequately explain its conclusion as to why the program was unlawful. The court did not buy the government's arguments about DACA. Now, again, I can tell you a lot of legal gobbledygook, but basically it comes down to what we call reliance. The government, one of the reasons they turned down the Trump rescission is that the DACA plan had been in place for five years, and it engendered the reliance of hundreds of thousands of beneficiaries, many who had structured their education, employment, and other life activities on the assumption that they would be able to renew their DACA benefits. Now, the court, in many courts, including the Supreme Court, has set aside changes in agency policy for failure to consider reliance interests that pale in comparison with the ones here. 
we have in the United States what's known as an Administrative Procedure Act. This is uh, this has the rules or embodies the rules of what a government is supposed to do. The statute purpose, the purpose of the APA, we call it the Administrative Procedures Act, is to assure that a president does not act capriciously to upset people's expectations of law without going through the proper process, including publishing a proposed new rule, allowing for a comment period, considering the comments, and issuing the new rule. None of this was done by the Trump administration. This is the rule of law, said John Bates. A president is not a monarch who can promulgate and repeal rules on a whim. He must follow certain procedures designed to slow or stop ill-conceived rules and to provide public input. If the president does not comply, said John D. Bates, a court will enforce that process. Now, basically, what all of this boils down to is people can still sign up for DACA. They will have at least two years for which they could not be deported. They have the right to work in the United States. They can get work permission. They can go to school. They can get driver's licenses, and they can rely on the government doing it the right way. Although John D. Bates and I weren't really friends, we were colleagues in the U.S. Attorney's Office, Kudos to him for his decision on DACA. This is Birdsong. If you want to write me, please do. lbirdsong22 at gmail.com. Send me your emails if you want to talk about this or make a comment. I'll get back to you. Right now, stay tuned. There's more. Song. I'm back with you. Glad to be here on the radio. Been talking about things that have been on my mind. The Bill Cosby conviction, the demise of the alt-right, the DACA decision written by my former colleague in the U.S. Attorney's Office, who's now a federal judge in Washington. DACA still lives. But now, after those heavy thoughts that I've had, let's go and do something entertaining. I have some dumb criminal law stories that I worked on last year, and I'm going to read some of them for you. The first one comes from Indiana. The headline read, She's Not Loving It. A mother called the police on her daughter for whacking her upside the head with a McDonald's cheeseburger. The Indianapolis mother was sitting in the drive through lane when she told her 39-year-old daughter she would have to move out of the house. The daughter went into a rage and hit her mother, in the face with the burger. There was no information on whether an arrest was made, but she was not loving it. (laughs) Oh, that's one of the McDonald's commercials. Loving it, huh? All right, Massachusetts. Headline, the uprising of the old folks. 
We learn a group of elderly folks was so outraged that their regular bingo night was cut back. They trashed a senior citizen center and threatened to egg organizers' cars, according to a police report. The bingo hall in Holyoke, Massachusetts, erupted into a high school cafeteria-style brawl when the old folks learned that Friday night bingo would be held only two times a month instead of four. Yep, that'll make old folks mad. In New Hampshire, the headline read, She needed more than an epidural. She needed more than an epidural. Upon going into labor, a pregnant Concord, New Hampshire woman went into labor and asked her girlfriend to inject her with heroin and meth before firefighters arrived and gave birth in an ambulance. According to a police report, the mother, Felicia Farragut, 29, and her friend, Rihanna Fern, Rihanna Fern, 37, were each charged with reckless conduct by police. My God, injecting heroin and meth during labor? Come on. All right, New York. Headline, no way to settle a dispute with the boss. A 29-year-old man was recently arrested for allegedly attacking his work supervisor with a chainsaw. Kyle Poor cut through his boss's bedroom door in Lions Fall, New York, then severely injured the man's hand before fleeing and being caught in nearby woods, according to police. <laughs> Folks, don't try this with your boss breaking into their bedroom with a chainsaw and attacking him. Don't do it. <laughs> this next story is sad but funny. Why do people do these things? The headline of this story from Oklahoma says, Remember, underwear is always a clever idea. Remember, underwear is always a clever idea. A substitute teacher in the town of Pawhuska, Oklahoma, was arrested for doing cartwheels while wearing nothing underneath her skirt, authorities said. The substitute teacher who was covering a high school choir class was booked for indecent exposure. <laughs> Remember, underwear is always a clever idea. <laughs> All right. Here's one from Oregon. The headline read, Thieves took the roof over a man's head. A Las Vegas man, whose custom-built 95-square-foot house was recently stolen from an East Oregon truck stop, got his house back. Lawrence Thomas's tiny house was snatched when he stopped to avoid severe weather as he drove it from Seattle to Las Vegas. Luckily, the house was found just a half mile from the site of the theft. What were these idiots going to do with a 95-square-foot house? <laughs> All right, where do I want to go? Pennsylvania. The headline, Doe. It appears that no one is above the parking laws in Philadelphia. A driver who parked in a rush hour lane at the Bellevue Hotel in City Center Philadelphia during a speaking engagement was recently ticketed, even though the driver was Philly's top cop. 
Police Commissioner Richard Ross. <laughs> Talk about irony, huh? All right, another story from Pennsylvania. The headline on this one, Deep Doo-Doo, maybe? A man who operates a business scooping up pet poop was recently sentenced to two years of probation and fined $500 for using what? Fake Secret Service ID cards and badges to impress women on a dating site, officials report. His name, Chris Diario. 54, the town of Greensburg, Pennsylvania, also used the phony IDs to score a government-rate hotel room. <laughs> I wonder if he took the women there. <laughs> oh, Texas. Oh, how silly, says the headline. Border Patrol agents caught smugglers with 3,000 pounds of marijuana. That's a lot of dough. They were made, or the 3,000 pounds of marijuana was made to look like, what? Watermelons. <laughs> they tried to sneak the weed in on a truck by wrapping the pot in green bundles at the Far International Bridge cargo facility, authorities said. Yes, they were arrested, and the marijuana was confiscated. Another story out of Texas. Headline, she was a real pistol. We learned that a hot-tempered lady pointed a gun at another mother over her bad driving skills outside their children's school. The argument broke out as the parents waited in a drop-off line at Deer Park Elementary School. The children were still in the back seats when one mother pointed a firearm at the other. It's been reported that no one was arrested for this assault. <laughs> Only in Texas, folks. <laughs> All right, finally, this last story is also from Texas. The headline says, Fat Chance. Austin, Texas police pulled over Florentino Herrera, 48 years old, for driving erratically. While the officer sat in his cruiser radioing about the stop to the station house, the cruiser dash cam caught Herrera trying to hide cocaine in a fold of his stomach fat. And he was charged with DWI and evidence tampering. How fat was he? <laughs> Hiding cocaine in the folds of his stomach fat. <laughs> well, those are all true stories from last year. I collect these stories. As a matter of fact, you can read some of them on my blog, birdsongslaw.com. They're there for you free, and I have books that you can buy. On Amazon.com, Professor Birdsong's Dumb Criminal Law Stories. All right, what about some riddles? I like riddles. Got three of them. What do you call an elephant having a tantrum? What do you call an elephant having a tantrum? Second one, where do monkeys exercise? Where do monkeys exercise? Number three, two silkworms were in a race. Two silkworms were in a race. How did they end up? All right, those are the three riddles I'll tell you at the end of the show. What do you call an elephant having a tantrum? Where do monkeys exercise? And two silkworms are in a race. Where did they end up? This is Birdsong. I'm going to be back with you in just a moment for a Paul Harvey rest of the story. Stick with us. 
Hi, Birdsong back with you. Uh, we've had a heck of a show today. You've heard some of my opinions and commentary on some of the news of the last week, and you've heard some of my dumb criminal law stories that I collect. Even gave you some riddles. I'm going to give you the answers to those riddles at the end of the show. Right now, I want to do a Paul Harvey story. Paul Harvey was a great broadcaster. I loved him. Loved hearing him on radio. His son, Paul Arant, would write stories called The Rest of the Story, and Paul would read them. In homage to him, I have read some of his stories on the air because now I have a radio program. This story is called Violin Money. When Joey Barrow was a teenager, his schoolmates labeled him as the class sissy. At 18, while the other boys were engaging in more masculine activities, Joey was taking violin lessons. All of his brothers and sisters were doing important things like looking forward to college, getting married, going into business. Joey's mother insisted he take violin lessons, hoping that he, Joey, would also make something of himself. But youngsters can be cruel. To his schoolmates, Joey was a fiddle-playing sissy. Joey is a sissy. Joey is a sissy. That's what they'd say. Then one day, Joey was called a sissy one time too many. This time, Joey smashed the boy who had taunted him smack on the head with his violin. It didn't help. Not really. When the story reached the ears of Joey's classmates, It bought him another round of laughter. But one of the other boys in school did not laugh. His name was Thurston McKinney. Big, strapping, Thurston decided it was time Joey got involved in something with a little more muscle. That is the rest of the story. Thurston exercised regularly at a local gymnasium and invited Joey to accompany him. As always, Joey had his violin with him. If you want to work out with me, said Thurston, you'll have to rent a locker. Locker rental was 50 cents. The only 50 cents Joey had was the money his mother had given him for that week's violin lesson. So Joey borrowed some gym trunks and some old tennis shoes from Thurston, rented the locker with his violin money, and he put the violin inside. It may still be there. The first time Thurston invited Joey to spar with him in the gymnasium boxing ring, Joey clomped. Well, the first time jo- the first time Thurston invited Joey to spar with him in the gymnasium boxing ring, Joey clobbered him, flattened him. The day's response of Thurston McKinney himself, already a Detroit Golden Gloves champion, was, "Boy." Throw that violin away. Joey got to liking the gymnasium. With the money his mother had intended to finance weekly violin lessons, Joey kept a permanent locker. In five years, Joey Barrow would be 23 and heavyweight champion of the world. There is not much in the anthologies of athletics about Thurston McKinney, but it was he who once upon a time took Joey under his wing. Joey dropped his last name, Barrow, so his mother would not know it was her son they were talking about in the newspapers. 
The world knew for years before she did that Sissy Joy Barrow had become the unbeatable Brown Bomber, Joe Lewis. And now you know the rest of the story. <laughs> A good story. All right, how about the answer to those riddles? What do you call an elephant? What do you call an elephant having a tantrum? What do you call an elephant having a tantrum? You call it an earthquake. Second one, where do monkeys exercise? Well, monkeys exercise in the jungle gym. Get it? <laughs> Finally, two silkworms were in a race. How did they end up? Well, the two silkworms in a race ended up in a tie. A silk tie, get it? <laughs> oh, gosh. All right. I'm going to end this program, and it's been great being with you, with a thought for the day. Asking is the beginning of receiving. Make sure you don't go to the ocean with a teaspoon. At least take a bucket so the kids won't laugh at you. <laughs> That's my thought of the day. This is Birdsong. I love being with you. Hope you come back next week. You can write me at lbirdsong22 at gmail.com. You can email me with any comments or thoughts you have on what I've been saying on the radio. Talk to you next week, folks. It's been lovely being with you. <laughs>